This is Tragic Theater. In the previous episode, we learned about the history of the Manila Film Center, from the tragic accident during its hasty construction in 1981, to the year 1999, leading up to the beginning of our story. Tragic Theater, Chapter 1, A Proposition She was seeing him again. How long has it been, five? Six years? More like forever. Today, the sun seemed to be shining a little brighter. The weather was just perfect with no gray clouds, just the vibrant blueness of the sky. The cool February air permeated the surroundings. People on the street looked happier. Smiles and laughter abound. Their joy was intoxicating. Was that a friendly wave from a stranger? Motorists were just as gracious, giving way as she drove past on to her destination. Her Honda Civic gave a reassuring sound that everything was running well. The radio continually played all her favorite songs as if the DJ had dedicated the whole program to her. She swore to have heard him say her name twice in the last half hour. Or was it all because she was simply excited? Annie kept glancing at the clock for no apparent reason. Traffic was unusually light. She was well ahead of her set appointment with him. And yet, she could not wait to reach the grounds of the University of the Philippines. Such eager anticipation. Born Anne Marie Furia Francisco, single, 5 feet 5 inches tall, dark complexioned with a slender body and shoulder length straight black hair, Annie was generally described by colleagues as attractive, independent, and highly ambitious. A very driven individual, she would immerse herself in hard work. She had impressed her boss and co employees with her tireless dedication to the job. Maybe it was her form of escape. Currently unattached, she had her share of ardent suitors and constant admirers in all of her 27 years and some regrettable flings along the way. Long-term commitments had been out the window, lest he discovers and accepts the past. Thoughts of eventually settling down and raising a family were long gone. Even though Annie lived with her parents, she enjoyed full independence when it came to her personal life. They never meddle in her affairs. As much as she wished to spend some quiet time at home, it was her work that kept her away she still found time to go out on casual dates once in a while, a far cry from her younger days when she would be out to party with her best friend every weekend. The election of the new president last year gave her the opportunity to work in government. Her father had used his close connections with the new administration to get her on board. She had been assigned to the Department of Tourism as Special Projects Coordinator. Reporting directly to the Tourism Secretary and with a staff of six, she was put in charge of determining possible tourism sites and developing their tourist drawing potentials. Her work had brought her all over the country. Being a hard worker, she accepted the challenge of going to far-flung areas and meeting different kinds of people. She hoped to build a promising career in the tourism department and then, with her credentials, go back to the private sector and someday put up a travel agency. Before joining the government, she worked for a multinational advertising agency right after graduating from college with a degree in business administration. Annie had called up two days before and requested to meet him. She did not say why and he never even asked he was just as looking forward to the meeting. This unique opportunity presented an excuse for them to see each other. Annie had known him during her college days in the state university, undoubtedly her most difficult time. But she would rather leave that thing behind. After all, it had been years and there was business at hand. As she got inside the university campus, the steering wheel began to bathe in sweat. As she drove up and parked on the curb, her hands turned cold. Annie took her own sweet time checking herself on the vanity mirror and thoroughly wiped the sweat off her palms. Arriving 20 minutes early afforded her that luxury. As she got down from the car and walked towards the structure, her legs wobbled a bit. 
She paused and tried to compose herself before proceeding. She saw him inside with his back turned, talking to one of the maintenance personnel. She waited for their discussion to finish then walked up behind him. Words failed to come out of her mouth, not even a sound. She thought of just tapping him on the shoulder. But that would not be proper. She took a deep breath and said. Good morning Father Nilo. The Reverend Nilo Marcello, assistant chaplain of the Chapel of the Holy Sacrifice, turned around. Their eyes met, seeming to exchange precious words. Good morning. Father Marcello said as she gave him a light hug. Long time no see. So, how are you? I'm okay. Am I too early? Didn't expect traffic to be light this morning. No, not at all, he replied looking at his watch. He gave a reassuring smile and motioned her to seat with him in front. The chapel was largely empty. Annie looked around, thinking back to the time they used to have their conversations here, in this same place, several years ago. She saw it had not changed much. Then her attention was drawn to the area above the altar. Built in 1955 during the time of its charismatic chaplain Father John Delaney, the chapel was considered an architectural masterpiece upon its completion. It features the works of four prominent Filipino national artists. Designed by architect Leandro Loxon, the structure was remarkable for its three-inch thick concrete shell dome. The interior was uniquely designed with the altar standing elevated at the very center and the surrounding pews arranged in a circular plan, arena style. This was intended to bring the people closer to the Mass. The altar was sculpted by Napoleon Abueva, as well as the double-faced crucifix hanging from cables just above it. Two others had contributed their works namely, Arturo Luz for the floor mosaic and Vicente Mononsala for the paintings of the Stations of the Cross. How are you? Have you been heeding my advice? Well, yeah. Annie was hesitant. She did not want to dwell on it anymore and instead, updated him on her new job in the government. She explained the programs of the new administration and the thrusts of the Department of Tourism. She sounded very excited with the prospects of her present position and the responsibilities that go with it. Her eyes wandered again to the center of the chapel while she spoke. It's good you're keeping busy. So, no plans of settling down yet? None. Annie abruptly answered as she smiled and looked down. All along I thought you're going to ask me to officiate your wedding. You didn't say why you were coming, you know. She managed to hide her slight irritation with another smile. I'm keeping my calendar open then. He tried to make her laugh to no avail. Yeah. You do that. Annie ended the topic. A long silence followed. I've read about you lately, that article in the Daily Inquirer. Don't believe all of it. He turned a little serious. So what's the real score? My group doesn't have an official name and we're not in competition with the spirit questers, contrary to what you've read. Our approach is a little different from theirs. We don't even promote ourselves but somehow, this newspaper reporter was able to learn a great deal, and more. That particular newspaper article was a cause of irritation as Father Marcello and his member volunteers had been indirectly referred to as spirit quester copycats. He felt that it was unfair especially to his members who had worked just as hard and had been content on anonymity, only to be branded as riding on the success of the former. After all, the spirit questers were the pioneer ghostbusters. Founded by a professor who taught shamanism and psychic powers at the nearby Ateneo de Manila University, this group of volunteer seers, shamans and mediums specialized in putting the living in communication with the departed. This group had gained wide recognition in their dealings with the paranormal and the occult. Father Marcello's group also had their share of encounters with the supernatural. Most of their cases involved driving out unwelcome spirits in homes and buildings. Their methods however, were considered a little bit unconventional. 
he believed that a combination of force and persuasion was necessary to bring about the desired objective. I believe you. That's why I came to see you. What? The priest was surprised. I'm here to ask you and your group for help. So, how can we help? We at the tourism department have been trying to find ways to reopen the Manila Film Center. Oh well, that makes sense. We've got an actor for a president. Yeah, hmm. As I was saying, first we have to rehabilitate the building from the earthquake damage it took. The Department of Public Works has already declared it structurally sound. Then, we plan to convert it into an IMAX theater. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the main attraction of an IMAX theater is the huge silver screen that measures about 80 feet high by 100 feet wide. The seating will have to be reconfigured and pitched at a steeper angle so that wherever you're seated, you'll have an unobstructed view of the screen. There are only a few such theaters all over the world and having our very own not only allows us to showcase our local attractions but maybe our award-winning movies as well. We've been in contact with IMAX Corporation and major renovations are needed to satisfy their specifications. They've submitted their price and it is not cheap. But before we proceed with any of these, we need to be sure that the building is cleansed of any paranormal activities. All our expenses will just go down the drain if the place will scare people away. I suppose you're aware that the questers have already been there. But they haven't driven all the spirits away. There are still some who have refused to vacate. We need it to be totally free. So you want us to continue what they've started? We need you to drive them away. I think you mistake them for squatters. Sorry if I sounded rude, but I feel they just needed the proper burial. Why don't you give them their last sacraments and final blessing? Their hate still persists and they blame the government for what happened to them. If I only had my way, I'd make the guilty ones personally apologize to them, how's that? Oh how I wish it's that simple. I rest my case then, Father Marcelo said with a smile. But Father. I know you're not going to pass up on this challenge. Besides, didn't you say your methods are a little different? Well, yeah. My boss is counting on me. Please, do it for me? Hmm, very well. I'll give it a try. I had a feeling you won't accept no for an answer. You're right. She gave him a look of satisfaction. The two went over the details of the preparation. They set next Friday night as the date of the initial quest. They would meet at the steps of the film center. Father Marcello explained to Annie that his group would need to hold at least, seven consecutive quests on-site due to the sheer number of entities believed to remain there. The first three would be to establish their exact number and identities. For this purpose, he would be bringing along eleven mediums and channelers to communicate with several spirits at the same time. He preferred to work with a small number of people so as not to overwhelm their subjects and encourage the latter to be more responsive to their queries. In the succeeding quests, he would bring all his 38-member volunteers for the next phase, which he said he would explain later on. The spirit questers had indeed been to the Manila Film Center before and held a series of candlelit seances. Based on published reports, the group had succeeded in communicating with the dead workers. Of the 100-plus victims, a majority of the spirits had already left, but a substantial number chose to remain. Those who remained could not accept their fate and were very angry for having been abandoned when they could have been saved. Most felt anger for the families they left behind. They ultimately blamed the former First Lady for giving the order to halt the rescue operation, thus sealing their fate. 
this bitterness kept their souls from transcending to the next spiritual plane. They expressed their outrage by haunting the inside of the building. The questers had tried to appease them and offered to relay their messages to their loved ones but still, they refused to vacate. Nothing seemed to make them leave. After threshing out the details for the following week's initial visit, Annie bade him goodbye. She had other appointments lined up for the day. Their meeting was continually interrupted by the non-stop message alert tone of her cellular phone. Father Marcello saw Annie off to her car. It was really good to see Annie again. He had always thought about her after they last saw each other way back. He had been her confidant during her darkest hours then. Annie was an emotional wreck eight years ago. Her studies had suffered tremendously that she had considered dropping out of college altogether. Father Marcello prevailed upon her to continue. He convinced her to drop by the chapel whenever she had the chance and discuss her personal problems. He learned about the circumstances of her depression. Annie had one time gone to him for confession. She narrated what had happened a few weeks prior. She spent an hour telling her story, interrupted only by uncontrolled sobs. That story came out in the newspaper but with the real names left out. Father Marcello had always been a good listener. But he could not help get affected by her story. Here was a young woman, pouring her heart out and on the verge of a breakdown, blaming herself for everything that happened. Together, they shared her pain and sorrow. He gave her all the advice she needed but he knew this was not enough. Someone going through an emotional crisis needs a constant listener. He was no psychiatrist but he wanted to get deeper into her psyche to fully understand what she was going through. If he had not gone to the priesthood, Danilo Arellano Marcello would have taken up psychology in college. He liked to observe and listen to other people. In a crowd, one would find his 5 foot 7 inch and 150 pound frame in a corner looking over those around him. In conversations, he would let the other side talk more. People often mistook him as being aloof. But the opposite was true. He was very approachable with his ready smile. Maybe it was due to the fact that he looked serious most of the time. A priest for the last 16 of his 37 years, Father Marcello owned a boyish look that belied his age. With his straight black hair and clean-cut appearance, he easily looked 10 years younger. He was quite active in sports as he played basketball and tennis with some of the university faculty members. He never had any regrets in his chosen field. He found his true calling to serve the Lord right after graduating from high school in Batangas. He enrolled at the San Carlos Seminary against the advice of his father, who thought he was making a hasty decision. But he did not have any doubt that it was what he wanted to do. After his ordination he was sent to assist the parish priest at the Our Lady of Grace Parish Church in the town of Mabalakot Pampanga. He stayed there for four years until he was transferred to his present assignment at the Chapel of the Holy Sacrifice, more popularly known as the UP Chapel. The University of the Philippines was a hotbed of student activism. During the 1970s and 80s, UP students, as well as its faculty, were at the forefront of the struggle against then-President Ferdinand Marcos. With the ouster of Marcos via the 1986 People Power Revolution, their activism continued, focusing on critical issues against the subsequent administrations of Corazon Aquino and Fidel Ramos. The current administration had been enjoying a relatively smooth relationship with the public. Barely eight months into office, after winning the largest election margin in Philippine history, the new president had inherited a sound local economy from his predecessor despite the current Asian financial crisis. The Catholic Church had played a vital role in shaping the political landscape of the Philippines. Led by the controversial Archbishop of Manila, Jaime Cardinal Sin, the Church had influenced government policies to suit its doctrine. Rapid population growth, which undermined the economy, had largely been unchecked because of pressures from the clergy. Bishops often issued statements critical of the way the administration was run. Nuns and priests were common fixtures in rallies against political and economic issues. 
separation of church and state, which was enshrined in the Philippine Constitution, had not only been conveniently ignored but continually violated. It was ironic therefore, that Father Nilo Marcelo, a priest at the University of the Philippines, despised politics. He never joined any rallies, even those inside the campus. This seeming indifference stemmed from his belief that politics should best be left to politicians and religion be above any partisanship. To him, the church should be the guiding light and not the driving force of society. The church should concentrate on what it knew best and that was to spread the word of God. Let the political leaders and economic managers use their expertise in running the country. After all, they would be accountable to the people later on. Father Marcello also believed that married couples have the right to determine the number of children to have, through the use of contraceptives, if they so choose. The Catholic Church had expressly prohibited artificial contraception, preferring instead the use of the natural method. Officially, he followed the stand of the Church on this issue but never kept his belief secret, especially to those who sought his advice. His pragmatic interpretation of Church rules and doctrine on this issue had earned him not a few detractors. It was almost a year ago when Father Marcello formed his group. He invited volunteers, mostly from UP, to make up the Corps. It was born out of his concern on the declining relevancy of the Church in the face of the proliferation of New Age ideas and practices. He felt that to counter this trend, the Church had to offer an alternative based on Christian ideology. Being its founder, he sought the blessing of the Archdiocese of Manila. His request was initially denied. However, a strong lobby from inside eventually reversed that decision. Father Marcello was given permission to proceed, but the Catholic Church did not officially sanction his group. His members were kept busy by the numerous requests for their services. Since his volunteers all had day jobs the group would schedule its quests on weekends. Most of their cases involved exorcising houses and premises that were haunted. Their success rate had been very encouraging and this helped keep morale high despite the less than prominent publicity. He believed the Manila Film Center should bring them the recognition they richly deserved. It would, especially if they could successfully apply their so-called radical theory in such a big scale. The second phase was indeed a challenge. We must prepare, he said to himself. 